0: Gospel of Mark chapter 1. So, as we also referenced last week, Mark is the kind of guy, when we go through the Gospel of Mark, who hits the main points. He doesn't dance around things. He says it how it is. And he says it, and then he moves on. And maybe the other Gospels talked about the, the genealogy or or the beginning before this, but but Mark starts At this point in Jesus' public ministry where God the Father introduces Jesus as his son whom he is well pleased. So let's begin in chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So here we see many beginnings in the Bible. Genesis, even the gospel of John starts out with a beginning. He starts before or at the creation of the world. But here, uh, Mark says in the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is really where Jesus is starting to be presented as God's Son. And we want to notice something here. He says the beginning of the gospel. Does anybody know what the gospel is? It's good news. Does anybody want to receive some good news? Man, I need some good news lately. Things have been getting a little bit better. The the tension in our society is starting to lift maybe a little bit, maybe not, (laughs) But we need good news. And this is interesting that Mark is the pioneer of this term that we see in Scripture of the gospel, of the good news. In fact, Mark uses the word gospel, evangelia, in this sense seven times when Matthew only uses it four and none of the other gospels use it. He's really championing this idea of the good news. And in Roman culture, remember, we believe he's writing to Romans. In Roman culture, they used this word, evangela, for uh, when they were proclaiming their victories, when they were coming back from the battlefield and they were proclaiming victory. And what it meant was for them, it was some good news within a lot of good news, it was a plural. Like, we got good news because we're the best people. We're the greatest kingdom in the world. Sound familiar? And and here's one more piece of the pie that points to us being the best. Here's some good news. We accomplished victory again today. Mark uses this word in the singular sense because really, the essence of good news, there's only one. There's only one good news article that we need to read, that we need to hear and become allowed to become a part of our lives that's going to change our lives. It's not collective good news. It's not feeling good about ourselves. It's not patting each other on the back. It's recognizing that God had good news by sending his son Jesus to the earth to die for our sins so that we could have right relationship with him. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. We also reference that this gospel focuses on the humanity and the service of Jesus Christ. Many other the other gospels, they talk about how Jesus was uh, part of people's lives and he said many things and we want to know what he said. But the gospel of Mark is all about what Jesus did This Jesus was a doer. That's Mark's emphasis. Jesus was a servant. He was the son of God and he was a doer. How many of you are doers? (laughs) How many of you are talkers? I like to talk about what I like to do. I'd like to think about it. I'd like to express it. But when it comes to doing it, it's a different, different ballgame. We can talk about it in church. We can get hyped up about it. We can sip coffee afterwards and talk about all the things that we should be doing. But really, what we should be doing is not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Allowing the word of God to change our life. And this is what I think Mark's perspective may be. Hey, Mark is, Jesus was a doer. And that's what I'm going to show you guys, Mark's saying. As he takes what Peter had said to him and records it. And then the first thing that's connected to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which is very important for us to consider, is that there was a messenger sent before the Messiah. Do you know why I didn't really understand John the Baptist so much before. You know, I thought he was a cool guy. You know, he's the greatest, you know, and, and all these other things. But Was it necessary to send John the Baptist? But then the more that I understand who God is, the more I understand the heart of God, the more I realize how important John the Baptist's role was. You see, because God isn't one of those kinds of gods in every other world religion that just does things for no apparent reason, at a whim, how he feels. You've got to please these gods. No, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God wants his people to be prepared. He wants his people to be prepared to receive what he's about to tell them through his son, Jesus Christ. And we see this in any good parent. When I was growing up, you know, my dad would say to me, hey, I'm going to warn you, don't do that. And I'd look at him and I'd do it anyway. And he said, I told you not to do it. Now this is what's going to happen for the consequences. Interestingly enough, there was a scenario just the other day where uh, my son did something that I thought that he knew very clearly that he was not supposed to do. And he did it, and I looked at him, and I said, you know you're not supposed to do that. Now you know what's going to happen because you knew what to expect was coming. And he said, Dad, wait, 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 wait. And I'm like, what? He said, I didn't know. Dude, You knew. He said, no, listen, I, you never warned me about what the consequences were going to be. And as per our agreement, <laughs> there has to be, you know, uh, uh, something set up in advance so that I, I didn't know. This is the first I've heard of it. And I was like, you are a lucky little booger, <laughs> but I am writing today's date down and I'm writing the application of what's going to happen because now you know. And good news, he hasn't done it again. He knows. When we know what to expect from God, we can take joy and give him rightful thanksgiving because he wants us to know. He wants us to know. God says, hey, I'm going to send John the Baptist so that he can get the people's hearts ready. Do you know what a forerunner is? Possibly the best vehicle ever made. Can I get a witness? I know a brother in here. Do <laughs> you know why they named it the forerunner? <laughs> Amen. Because it goes first. It prepares the way. And in this context, when, a, when somebody would go before a coming king, what they would do, as you may know, is that they would, they would level the, the path. When it would dip down and get rocky and, and, and gutted, they would lift it up. If it went too high, they would bring it down. They would make it nice and smooth and easy for the king to go where he was going to do. Now listen, the, the, the analogy for us is not the physical path, but what really God is talking about is the hearts of his people. Because that's the access that God makes to us. And without somebody, the forerunner, for us now, uh, specifically, it's the Holy Spirit. He identifies the valleys or the potholes. He identifies the hills. And we're able to respond to the Lord in, we're going to see in a minute, but in repentance. Repentance is a, a desire to respond, to fix something that's broken, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. God does not only warn of impending judgment like he did so faithfully. Overwarning the nation of Israel so faithfully over the years in the old testament. But he also warns us or wants us to be prepared for the good things that are to come to. I'm reminded of the, the ten virgins, you know, five that had their oil ready and the five that did not. Do you know what the, the ten virgins, the five that had oil and the five that not? Do you know what they had in common? They were both looking forward to something good. They were both expecting something good. They were getting married, and they were looking into the future, and it was good. And five were prepared to receive that goodness, and five were not prepared. I think it goes to say for us, as the church today, do we find ourselves in that kind of position? We're not like we're just expecting the good things of God to come in the future, but we're preparing our hearts for it. We're prepared for it. There's still repentance that's happening. Because I meet Christians and talk to them who think they don't do anything wrong anymore. And they deserve to be blessed by God. And why isn't God doing these things in my life? Well, maybe they need to be prepared a little bit more. Maybe somebody needs to shout at them. I don't mind. I like yelling. Get their attention. Hey. There's stuff that needs to be addressed. There's stuff that needs to be talked about. And look at verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Did you guys ever think, why was John the Baptist in the wilderness? Why did the people have to go out to him? Isn't that counterintuitive? It's like, hey, we're playing in a church. Where do you guys want to go? We want to go to the biggest city you know, with the most people, and we want to preach the gospel clearly so that most people get saved. John's like, no, I'm going outside of the city, and I'm making people come to me. Because you guys ever heard of Applegate Christian Fellowship in Oregon, Pastor John Corson is an anomaly for a Calvary Chapel, for a church. Most churches, they strategically place themselves where the people are. So statistically speaking, if somebody lives 20 minutes away or longer, they're, they're highly less likely to go to your church. So you want to be positioned in a place where it's most convenient and comfortable for people to go to church. You know what John Corson did? They planted the church and they built it outside of the city limits. There's nothing around. You go out there and it's trees. That's the kind of church I want to go to. Like up in the mountains, you know, a big amphitheater outdoors. We're going to have as many services that we can outside so we can experience God's glory while we're reading his word together. That's what I'm talking about. So why did John go out? I think this is indicative. There's a few things that I believe the Lord wants us to process. But I think one thing is, there was a there was definitely an indication that John was different. He was different. He wasn't like everybody else. John came baptizing in the wilderness, verse 4, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. This picture of this man does not look like very appealing. (laughs) And when we say different, is this what different looks like? We're making an addition to the Christmas Eve potluck. We are now going to be having soup desserts and locusts. in in the spirit of John the Baptist, so that we too can be different? Do you think that that was his intention, his purpose, so that he can just be different? I don't think so. In that culture and society, it spoke to something greater. It spoke that he was not in agreement with the way things were happening in the city. What was it that God was doing when he took the children of Israel through the wilderness, through the desert? What was it? He was addressing sin. He was teaching his people. He was preparing them. And now they have established this this religious institution. And everything's fine. And they have all the answers. And and talk to the rabbis or talk to the priests or the Sadducees and Pharisees. Because we've got it all together. And John, you know, in my opinion, it could be a a demonstration of him saying, it's time to go back to the desert. It's time to go back to the place where, in our repentance toward God, He always was faithful to reveal Himself to us. And that's really what the message of John the Baptist was. First of all, we see in 4, it says John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. So there's three things that, that John was doing in the wilderness. He was baptizing, he was preaching repentance, and, and there was a, a remission of sin that was happening because of their response. If it's not true for us today, the same, then I don't know. How we respond to the Lord. You know what the key to being a believer in Jesus Christ is? The key to get through the door. There's only one thing that you really have to do. We say it's faith. That's great. It is faith. We say it's grace. That's great. It is. But it cannot be received apart from genuine repentance. And when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we withhold or do not uh, put it together with true repentance, then it's not the gospel. We're not God's uh, homies. God doesn't want to be our 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 friends and 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 hang out with us. I could if I had a dollar for every time I talked to to uh, an addict, and they said to me, you know, when I'm smoking my joint, me and Jesus are just hanging out. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm just going to hang out and have a beer with Jesus. No, that's not the point. The point is that God does want to have a right relationship with you. He does intend and desire reconciliation, but it comes through repentance. And that's how it is in relationships too. I remember growing up, you know, God bless my mom. She was a a sweet lady. But when she got mad at you, you know, You know how you knew it? It's not by what she said. It's by what she didn't say for three, four, five, six days. I remember one year, (laughs) Lord bless my mom, I love her. I remember one year I forgot to call and wish her happy birthday. We were in Croatia. We got busy, you know. And I remembered the next day, and I called her and said, hey, mom, happy birthday. She's like, yeah, it was yesterday, not today. I'm like, mom, there's a time change, you know. There's a time change. And she didn't talk to me for like four days. And I call her. I'm like, Mom, you can't do this to me. I'm sorry. I know it was your birthday. Listen, I'm repenting. I'm I'm going the other direction. I'm never going to do that again. She said, okay, I receive your apology. But it took you a while to apologize instead of justifying yourself why you didn't call me. Oh, man, repentance? Repentance. I want that to be expressed in relationships that I have. That's why in interpersonal relationships that I personally have, if I wrong somebody, I want them to know, listen, I am genuinely sorry. I'm not just saying that. But I know a lot of people who will say, yeah, I wronged you. Yeah, maybe it was my fault. Maybe not. I don't really care. And they turn up their nose and they walk away. And relationship can't be fixed. Fixed without true repentance. Just for the sake, since we're using my family, let's just go to the next level. My brother and I, I wish he was here today. My brother and I today are closer than we've ever been. We grew up fighting and, you know, just not getting along. Then I was gone for 10 years and then came back like the prodigal son expecting everybody to love us and our family and our kids. And I had a couple candid conversations with my brother. He's like, you know what? Let me tell you something. I didn't like when you said this to me when I was 16. I didn't like when you and you did this. And I said, bring it on, man. Tell me, tell me what I did. Tell me how I did it. Because I can tell you the truth right now, bro. That guy is dead. And the, and, the, and the quicker that our relationship gets through these obstacles and these things are addressed, the faster that we're going to draw and come together. And I said, genuinely, not only is that dude dead, dude, but I love you, man. I love you. And I didn't do those things. I don't do those things today to hurt you. Please accept my apology. Receive my repentance. And because of that, our relationship is better than it's ever been before. But if I wasn't willing to humble myself, and I'd say, wait a minute, I remember that. I remember that. September 2nd, 1989. Yeah, you know why I did that? Because you did this, you scumbag. You were always doing this to me. And every No, no, stop, stop. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because somebody did something to you doesn't mean that you can be in a position to approach them and say, what I did was wrong. And I apologize. I repent for it. Again, I think there's way too many people who want to go to church and who want to say that they're Christians, but they're not willing before God to repent. So the genuine relationship that God wants to have with us can start to bloom and flourish. I'd rather not address that. And it undermines the fullness of the promises that God has for us and what all he wants to do in our lives. So as people were coming out, they were repenting, they were being baptized, and this is, this baptism is an immersion in water. This isn't a sprinkling. And it speaks of cleansing In fact, for them, for the Jews, it was a ritual of cleansing. That they were addressing something and they were being cleansed and that their sins were, there was remission for their sins. Now, there wasn't any sacrifice involved. If you've been with us at all on Wednesdays through Exodus or Leviticus, we're in, uh, we're coming to the, we just passed the middle of Leviticus late. That's great stuff. You guys are missing it. All of those laws that were set up, all the rites of purification that we've been reading, they were always coupled with, or if not first, some kind of actual blood sacrifice was given in the process as well. But right here, what we're reading is we just see what? We just see the baptism happening. But where's the sacrifice? Jesus Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. And when does remission of sins for these people, when does it come? Does it come when they go down into the Jordan River and they're immersed and they come back up and and John the Baptist says, oh, now your sins, there's, there's remission of sins. No, it doesn't come until Jesus Christ died on the cross and those people's hearts were in a place to receive his sacrifice And it wasn't difficult to get to that conclusion through valleys and hills and everything else because the the way was paved within their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the one that was going to take the sins of the whole world. People argue or debate whether baptism has to be directly connected to salvation. And if this is true for John the Baptist and these people that repentance and remission of sins had to come through Jesus Christ and baptism was symbolic of that, then it has to be the true for us as well. We're repentance. We receive Jesus as our personal Savior because of what he did. And a response to that is baptism signifying that he's cleansed us and washed us of all of our sin. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John himself is not pointing to the act or the function that he has as the be-all, end-all. He says, there's somebody else coming. I came before to prepare the way. There's somebody else coming who's going to give you a greater baptism than in the water. Greater significance, greater symbolism... Jesus Christ himself is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, which we know in the New Testament, it's difficult for us to really wrap our heads around it. But at this point in time, they were not able to receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross, all throughout all the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon for acts of power. The Holy Spirit would, would... encourage or or come alongside and direct, but it's not until Jesus Christ died on the cross and cleanses us internally that we can become the vessels and the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. John's saying your relationship with God now is expressed through this baptism, but just wait until you receive the baptism from the guy coming after me. It's going to blow your mind. It's not just a moving of the Spirit, it's a dwelling of the Spirit's. Verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's also people that ask the question, why did Jesus have to be baptized if he was perfect? Well, we've, we've addressed that before. You know, Jesus' mother Mary also offered the sacrifice when he was born, which was required of everybody. Because Jesus, being man, becoming man, was in all points tempted as we, yet was without sin. You know what that means? He had to go through everything that we went through, that we go through everything. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And to fulfill the law, he had to subject himself to it. And this is one of those acts of him subjecting himself, fulfilling the law so that he could be demonstrated as perfect. Otherwise, how would you know? He's above the law. You ever see people like that? They don't have to obey the law because they're better than the law. Jesus is better than the law so he doesn't have to submit himself to it. No, exactly the contrary. If he's going to be an example to us, then he has to submit himself completely to the law of the Old Testament like was required of everybody. And when he does this act of submission to God the Father, the heavens, we don't see this very often happen in Scripture, the heavens open up and God speaks, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. The ultimate proclamation of Jesus' Messiahship. Jesus doesn't need anybody else saying it or confirming it apart from his Father. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. I want to start wrapping up on on a couple points. If you're taking notes, remember the the purpose of John the Baptist was preaching repentance, baptizing and giving people an expectation that there was going to be a remission of sins. And then here's three other parts that we get from this first part of Mark chapter one. Number one, the forerunner, John. Two, the message, baptism and repentance. Three, the proclamation, heaven's parted and God speaks. I think that this is the same kind of thing that God has called us to do as Christians, as men and women. Don't take this the wrong way, especially you theologians. I referenced it in my prayer in the beginning. I believe we're in a day and age now where we can be like John. We can be forerunners of Jesus Christ. We can be preparing the way for his coming just like John was doing it before Jesus' first coming. We can be active in this process before Jesus' second coming. And we need to be. We need to be going out there, going before Jesus, doing the same thing. What's the message? Repentance of sins and right relationship with God. You can't have right relationship with God without repentance of sins. Baptism was also a part of that process that, that John was going through. And then number three, the, procl- the proclamation. As we're living as forerunners, as, as we're preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're, we're preaching the gospel Right relationship with God through repentance and what that looks like. I think it's, I believe, I've seen it, I believe it's confirmed. It's confirmed through our lives. God speaks into each one of our lives and says, this is my daughter whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. We are adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ and we have this ability to represent God in a way that nobody else has. We're cleansed of our sins. We're made the temple of the Holy Spirit. No longer is everybody going to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God. People can be in the presence of God wherever you are. Wherever you are. Wherever I am. Wherever you are. Because you have the presence of God dwelling in you. You are the one that God wants to use, especially in this season right now, to preach a gospel of love, but also a gospel of repentance. To preach a gospel of relationship, and to show people what that right relationship looks like. People know, they see your life, and they're going to ask. So when you go out into the world this coming week, and you have challenges that you face, and you go through different things? Are you going to look at it as you're going through something, expecting and waiting, but maybe a little unprepared, like the five virgins that didn't have the oil? Are you going through the rest of this week, through your life, prepared for the second coming, willing to talk about it to people, willing to preach the gospel, even if it's just your own personal testimony, do you know how powerful that is? The gospel changed my life. It's part of who I am. It's part of why I am the way that I am, not the crazy part. Stop looking at me like that. It's the good part. It's the fruit of the Spirit that's evidenced. Let's do it. Let's ask the Lord today to help us be prepared and to be willing to go out as forerunners before his second coming so that we can proclaim the gospel and having right relationship with God in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, we thank you for warning us. We thank you for telling us, giving us insight, giving us heads up what to expect, that it's not just this kind of out there arbitrary goodness that we can expect in the future, but that it's specific, it's genuine, it's intentional. And that's what you're doing and, and, and what you've started to do for us as a church and what you're going to continue to do. God, we pray today that our hearts would respond to your Spirit, that we would address things that need to be addressed That we would repent in the things that need repentance. And that in that we would be prepared to be your forerunners, to go proclaim your second coming and help prepare the people so that they can have a, a right relationship with you before they see you and are shocked. Sow this word, God, into our hearts be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.